Watch and listen to the talking news every day at 12 noon and 6 p.m. on Channel 96 Comcast Xfinity and Channel 30 Verizon Fios. It can also be heard Mondays and Tuesdays at 4.30 p.m. and Wednesday at 12.30 p.m. on Channel 9 Xfinity and Channel 29 Fios. Listen anytime on the BMC Podcast Network on SoundCloud and iTunes. Just search for the Belmont Media Podcast Network. And now on to the talking news. Thumbs up for the off-cycle request by Joanna K. Zavallis. The Belmont Community Preservation Committee, the CPC, voted unanimously on their August the 8th meeting in favor of accepting an off-cycle application from the Board of Selectmen requesting $400,000 to fund the design of Phase 1A of the proposed community path route. The portion of the path, which includes the underpass tunnel between Alexander and Concord Avenues. Board of Selectmen Chairman Adam Dash explained the need for the off-cycle request to the CBC at their meeting on August the 8th. On July 19th, the Massachusetts Department of Transportation approved Phase 1A and Phase 1B of the community path as a project to be considered for funding by the Boston Metropolitan Planning Organization, the MPO, Transportation Improvement Program. Dash received a letter from Mass DOT's District Highway Director Paul Stedman dated July 26th informing him of the project's eligibility for federal highway funding. The decision to commit funding will be made by the Boston MPO and would cover the estimated $16.7 million construction cost. The letter states there are three milestones Belmont must accomplish by July 26, 2020, which include receiving Mass DOT's approval of the project's scope and work hours, securing a signed contract with a design consultant for the entire design process, and identifying design funding. On August 8th, on Belmont State Senator William Brownsberger's website, that's williambrownsberger.com, stated this is only an eligibility determination, not an allocation of funding. But it's a step forward and opens the door for active collaboration between the town of Belmont and MassDOT in the design of the path. Once design has further progressed, the project can begin to actively compete for a funding commitment. Dash stressed the importance of keeping things moving along now as they have the state's attention for the Community Path Project after 25 years in the making. We don't want to jeopardize the process with the state, said Dash. The selectmen will complete the application for $400,000 to fund the design of Phase 1A of the Community Path for a review at the September 13 CPC meeting. If the application is approved, it will be put on the warrant for the special town meeting of November 13 and 14. Dash said the selectmen will file another community preservation application for $1 million to fund the design of Phase 1B of the community path, which they hope to have on the warrant for the May town meeting. Steve Pinkerton, a member of the CPC, said the request for funding the design of the community path will pretty much wipe out what the committee can give out 
for other projects for fiscal year 2019. If we don't put the good faith forward a year from now, there may not be money, said Floyd Carmen, member of the CPC and town treasurer, referring to funding from the state for the construction and how a downturn in the economy could make it harder if the town doesn't move forward. This is mission critical, he stated. And over to my colleague, Thomas. Thank you, Bob. Belmont Manor hopes to expand to offer assisted living by Joanna Kate Savellis. One of the agenda items at the July 31 Belmont Planning Board meeting was the discussion of rezoning South Pleasant Street, the commercial industrial area near Star Market, 750 to 110 Pleasant Street, and 521-563 Trapello Road. Currently, it is zoned as Local Business 2, LB2, which does not allow three-story buildings. Stuart Carger, owner and administrator of Belmont Manor Nursing Home at 34 Agassiz Avenue in Belmont, presented his idea for an assisted living facility located at 1000 Pleasant Street, next to Star Market and behind Belmont Car Wash. Architect Andy Rojas, a former Belmont Planning Board member and selectman, presented the design to the Planning Board at the July 31 meeting. Carger said Belmont Manor is the only long-term care provider in Belmont and has been serving the community for almost 51 years. Through a feasibility study, he learned people in Belmont would like to stay in Belmont and sees a need to expand his brand to assisted living. Currently, there are no other assisted living facilities in Belmont. According to Carger, the feasibility excuse me, feasibility study showed the need in 2018 to be for 242 additional assisted living traditional beds and 141 memory care beds. The design presented by Rojas is a three-story, 32-foot-high building, approximately 75,000 square feet, with 30 parking spaces and 80 to 85 units. The development would require an overlay district to reclassify the property under the terms of Local Business 1, or LB1, to allow assisted living as a use. Currently, the land is zoned as LB2, which does not list assisted living as an acceptable use. Rojas said his drawings are just concepts at this time, not a full set of preliminary drawings, to show what could happen if the zoning changes. The use would have a minimal impact on schools and traffic, he said. The first floor of the assisted living facility would offer services for residents, such as hair and nail salons, therapy rooms, dining and gathering areas. The second floor would have traditional assisted living units, 400 to square hundred feet each. The units would be mostly studios with a few one-bedroom rooms with small kitchenettes, bathrooms and closets and common areas for congregating. The third floor would be for dementia and memory care residents with an outdoor deck and common areas. According to Rojas, the residents on the third floors most likely would not go downstairs, and the outdoor deck would give them access to the outdoors. Rojas said they would request a special permit for the third floor, which is allowed with the LB1 district, limited to a height of 32 feet. Planning Board Member Thayer Donham said she likes the idea and would want to see connections for pedestrians to walk from the facility to other areas of Waverly Square and not have to cut through the Star Market parking lot. This will be the catalyst that will redevelop Waverly Square. Other things will come that will follow suit, said Rojas, 
adding, if developed properly, the assisted living facility could become a pedestrian connection right into Waverly Square in the future. Rojas anticipated other mixed-use buildings, with retail below and independent living above, will follow suit. Planning Board Chairman Charles Clark said that he thinks it is a very interesting proposal and added that he sees a real need for this. And now over to Max. Thanks, Thomas. Spring Real Estate Roundup. <coughs> Home prices rise about 13% from 2017 to 2018 by Joanna Cates of Ailes. The Belmont Citizen Herald recently interviewed two local agents to get an overview of the real estate market for 2018 so far compared to 2017. 40-year real estate professional Fred Pizzi, co-owner of Century 21 Adams Lawndale Realty Incorporated in Belmont, said home prices increased approximately 13% from spring 2017 to spring 2018. People who sold this year received more for their homes than the previous year, he said. The median sale price for a single-family home in Belmont is currently $1,150,000. According to Patricia McTagg, realtor with 15 years' experience with the sales associate for Caldwell Banker Residential Brokerage in Belmont, McTagg said inventory for spring 2018 increased 15% compared to 2017. Pizzi thinks Belmont home property values will continue to appreciate in 2019, although maybe not as dramatically. Variables that will control this are supply and if interest rates increase as predicted, he said. Bidding wars continue, said Pizzi. James Savas, co-owner of Century 21 Adams Lawndale Realty Incorporated in Belmont, had a multifamily home on Marlboro Street that sold this past April for $1 million. It was listed for $915,000 and had seven offers on it. McTagg listed a three-bedroom, 2.5-bathroom, 2,200-square-foot Belmont home in May for $1.1 million. It had 16 offers and sold for $1,350,000 with no contingencies. In the heat of the spring market, it was not uncommon to hear of 10 or more offers on one property. Now we are seeing more like four offers in a competitive bidding situation. This is also impacted by seasonality. The market typically slows down in the summer. I expect the fall will pick up when we, where we left off in the spring, said McTagg. Belmont has the consistent benefit of being close to the city and receiving high school ratings, according to McTagg both of which are extremely desirable to buyers and have kept our values strong, she said. Empty nesters moving out of town. Pizzi said he is seeing many older residents moving out of Belmont, not just because of higher taxes, but because they no longer need as much space and are looking for one-level living. Many do move to either smaller single-range style house, homes or condominiums in towns like Waltham, Watertown, Woburn, Burlington, or on Cape Cod, he said. McTagg said she had heard many senior citizens voice concerns about rising costs and not having accessible, affordable, alternative living options in Belmont. Many residents who have lived in Belmont for years are sitting on large sums of equity in their home and would sell if they could find a local solution, she said. Desirable neighborhoods. Pizzi said the most popular area of Belmont is off of Common Street from Belmont Center to Cushing Square especially Cedar, Fairmont, Hillcrest Roads. This area has great walkability to most schools, shops, playgrounds, and public transportation. Also, the Presidential Estates area and Payson Park area 
are desirable again due to walkability, said Pizzi, adding Belmont Hill is also desirable but does require parents to chauffeur more. Why a home doesn't sell. According to Pizzi, occasionally a home may come on the market at a higher price level than the market will bear and may need a price adjustment to sell. Also, sometimes a home on a busy street or a home in major disrepair may take longer to sell. Higher-end homes near or above the $3 million price area do also take longer to sell as there are fewer buyers in that price range, he said. Over to you, Bob. Thanks, Max. Program looks at all aspects of beer by Joanna K. Uh, Zavellis. Craft Beer Cellar in Belmont Center now has an event space on the lower level of 85 Leonard Street in Belmont Center, below the Wellington Neighborhood Eatery, Diedrichs, and Belmont Books. Co-owners uh, Suzanne Shacklow and Kate Baker said that they're using the new 28-seat space for the Society of Master Beer Siage, their company's beer education platform. The Society of Master Beer Siage is intended to look at and treat beer on an educational level and platform similar to the way that Wine Sommelier's program works, said Shacklow. Shacklow said this is the first-of-its-kind program in the area, which fills the gaping hole in beer education. It speaks a lot to how to serve beer, how to treat beer, how to store beer, what beer pairs well with barbecue ribs on the 4th of July, or watermelon and feta salads, she said. The Beer Siage program has four levels, apprentice, certified, advanced, and master. You don't sell real estate without having your real estate credentials and or a license to do so. You should not be selling or dealing in beer without the proper credentials, said uh, Jack Lowe. Beer Siage offers Monday night training socials, open to anyone. Every week, with Jack Lowe leading the class, students look at three or four beer styles. They compare the beers, talk about the ingredients, aroma, flavor, and then Shacklow helps participants hon, hone their vocabulary. We do writing exercises where they describe beers and help with the analogy and aroma and flavor descriptions, she said. The beers and styles change every week. If someone shows up every Monday over two and a half months, they could have tasted 70% of the beers available in terms of styles on the market, said Shacklow. On most Thursdays, Beer Siege uh, offers blind tastings, looking at the top six sellers from the flagship Belmont store the previous week. They also work with brewmasters, neighborhood eateries, and bakeries, pairing beers with food for tastings. Other upcoming events will include a malt sensory program with a maltster from Western Massachusetts, Father Isaac, and the monks from Spencer Brewery will also be coming to talk about beers they are currently brewing. We have long supported education as part of what Craft Beer Cellar does. As we say, our trinity is amazing beer, hospitality, and education, said Shacklow. Baker and Shacklow recently received their beer judge certification results from their tasting exam and will be judging at the Great American Beer Festival in 2019. 
once this gets out and people learn how invaluable this can be, that, that, that it's in the Boston area, these seats are going to be a prime spots each week, said Shaq Lowe. To sign up for the event or learn more, visit craftbeercellar.com forward slash beercierge. Craft Beer Cellar opened its first store in Belmont on November 10, 2010. Since then, it has become a franchise with 30 additional stores nationwide. According to Shacklow, Belmont is their busiest store. It's been an interesting run. In business, not everything is pretty and rosy. Sometimes tough decisions have to be made, but we are all in this and are still beer geeks, still happy and still love what we do, said Shacklow. Prior to founding Craft Beer Cellar, Baker was previously a chef and Shacklow was a restaurant manager. And now to my colleague Thomas. Thank you, Bob. Building a Better Budget Model by Angela Thoma. One of town administrator Patrice Garvin's first major accomplishments in her role for the town was to sign a community compact agreement with the Commonwealth of Massachusetts on January 29. The Community Compact is a voluntary mutual agreement entered into between the Baker-Polito administration and individual cities and towns of the Commonwealth. The Compact also articulates the commitments the Commonwealth will make on behalf of all communities, including helping the community attain their chosen best practice. A total of $30,000 from the state program is being used for comprehensive financial planning and long-term financial planning by the Collins Center affiliated with the John W. McCormick Graduate School of Policy and Global Studies at UMass Boston. At a joint meeting with the Selectmen, Warrant Committee and School Committee on July 30, the Center's consultants, Stephen Cirillo and Anthony Teresi, presented the results of their study, which will provide a financial planning tool for Belmont as it invests in a number of costly expenditures, including the new middle school-high school project. According to Cirillo, one of the critical issues facing Belmont is a structural budget deficit. The town uses non-recurring revenue, such as free cash and the General Stabilization Fund, to help finance recurring expenditures such as the town's operating budget. In other words, the town is using one-time money to support ongoing service. Cirillo said this is a prevalent problem in many municipalities, and the practice is unsustainable in the long term. There is no reliable method to predict free cash, and in two years, the General Stabilization Fund will run dry. If the matter is not resolved by then, the town risks the need for a budget override. Cirillo advises slowly phasing out free cash as a support for the operating budget. The Massachusetts Department of Revenue also suggests limiting its use to paying one-time expenditures, funding capital projects, or replenishing other reserves. In this spirit, Cirillo proposed allocating free cash to the General Stabilization Fund and using it instead for liquidity or in an emergency. According to Cirillo, this will ultimately help shore up liquidity and protect the town's bond rating. Cirillo also noted an unused capacity in local receipts that might alleviate some of the budget stress. He emphasized that these alone will not resolve the deficit, but it is a good place to start. Cirillo and Teresi also provided a model to help forecast revenue expenditure. This model includes two features, 
a gap analysis that identifies the difference between revenues and expenditures on both an annual and cumulative basis, and a what-if analysis, which illustrates the impact of changing a single variable in the budget, such as the percentage of collective bargaining or health care. The current forecast is for fiscal years 2020 to 2024. Each year, Belmont will designate someone from the community the task of updating the forecast to the next year's five-year forecast. The goal is to create a sustainable budget and avoid future overrides. After their presentation, Selectman Chairman Adam Dash opened the meeting up to questions and comments. Roy Epstein, Chairman of the Warrant Committee, emphasized the need to look at the model as a tool and not necessarily as an end-all and be-all. Quote, I think this model is the most sophisticated effort I have seen so far to get our overall budget in a structure where it can be analyzed. I wouldn't interpret what we have seen tonight as a recommendation. I think this is an illustration of a tool that requires further refinement, said Epstein. Selectman Vice Chairman Mark Paolillo also stressed the importance of addressing the structural budget deficit. Quote, we have to start making decisions over the next couple years in terms of what we are going to do, said Palillo. We are facing this no matter what. We can run the numbers 25 different ways, and we know we have a structural deficit in a level-funded budget. And now back to Max. Thanks, Thomas. Keeping Music Alive at Age 95 by Joel Samuels. A Belmont musical legend will lead his swing orchestra in his final ninth fundraising concert sponsored by the Friends of the Belmont Council on Aging at 7 p.m. on September 13th at the Beach Street Center, 266 Beach Street, Belmont. Proceeds will benefit programs and services at the Belmont Council on Aging, Beach Street Center. Who is this lifelong musician and trumpet player born in 1923 whose career spans from the 1930s big bands to today. It's Al Natale, of course. In sitting down with Al, I discovered a veritable history of what a talented trumpet player could accomplish in nearly a century. At an early age, Al was handed a bugle at St. Anthony's School in Boston, liked what he could do with it, and moved on to the trumpet. From excelling in his high school band, he took private lessons with the principal trumpet player for the vaudeville shows at the RKO Theater on Washington Street downtown. That contact got him into the orchestra when they enlarged the band from 9 to 15. He filled in during these shows and gained experience in learning hundreds of tunes, what keys they were in, and how to improvise. Al's father was a barber and musician who taught him ear training and how to sight-read music. With this talent, he was able to fill in during the late 1930s in Boston whenever traveling bands such as Benny Goodman, the Dorsey Brothers, and Glenn Miller needed a substitute trumpet from time to time. He went on the road in the late 1930s with the Bob Chester Orchestra, Harry James Orchestra, and joined the Jerry Wald Orchestra at the Paramount Theater in New York at age 21. He traveled around the country playing the Liberace Show, the Three Stooges, Dick Hames, and Margaret Whitling at a, th at a theater for three or four weeks at a time. He became very friendly with the Three Stooges and played poker with them between shows. He often played five shows a day and was never sure which acts would be on the same bill. During World War II, he recalled going to the Paramount Theater in New York City every noontime to get another set of music stands and do a war bond drive show in Times Square. A big star such as Bob Hope or Milton Berle, who was in New York at the time, would come down and do a few-minute show. 
All we did was play, play, play. Tiring of the road, he returned to Boston and played in society orchestras such as Ruby Newman and Harry Marchant. He started his own six-piece band and discovered a great 16-year-old keyboard player named Chick Corea. They played at the Mayfair, a, club sh a show club in Arlington, on Arlington Street, and the Latin Quarter. Al played alongside acts such as Cab Calloway and Julius LaRosa. At Blindstrup's Village in South Boston, he filled in with bands which accompanied singers such as Paul Anka, Pat Boone, Sammy Davis Jr., and Johnny Mathis. During the 1950s, Al played at Paul's Mall, playing music behind comedians such as Henny Youngman, Flip Wilson, and George Carlin. In the early 1960s, after Herb Alpert enjoyed a huge success with his Tijuana Brass, Natale created Al Natale and the Tijuana Brass Sounds. This band was hot and was chosen to play the inaugural ball for May Boston Mayor Kevin White. In Boston, Al played the Barnum & Bailey Circus, a lot of the ice shows and different private big shows. He played the big rally at the Boston Garden in 1960 when John F. Kennedy ran for president. He remembered the excitement when the future president came into the hall smoking a cigar and waving to everybody. Since then, he's played behind Bill Bojangles, Bill Robertson, Frank Sinatra, Steven Tyler, and Aerosmith. In the early 1970s, Al was elected vice president of the Boston Music Musicians Union. Al stated that one of the greatest moments of my career was meeting Frank Sinatra in 1981 and presenting him with an honorary lifetime membership in Local 9-535 American Federation of Musicians Union. Al Natale and his swing orchestra have played fundraising concerts at the Beach Street Center eight times. On September 13th at 7 p.m., the orchestra and talented singer Jim Bramante will again, in Natale's finale, recreate the sounds of an era of the greatest generation, which should be appreciated by Belmont area residents of all ages. Tickets are $10 at the door. Thanks for the memories, Al. Over to you, Bob. Thanks, Max. Belmont Porch Fest, Seeking Volunteers. Belmont Porch Fest, the free townwide front porch and backyard music festival slated for September 8th, is currently seeking volunteers for week of and day of responsibilities. These, responsibility, these responsibilities, helping with deliveries and signage in advance of the event and serving as community ambassadors on September 8th, Community ambassadors can be either on foot or on bike for a two-hour time block, keeping an eye on activities at Porch Fest venues and making sure people are being mindful of safety guidelines. Volunteer support will also be needed on September 8th for the grand finale, One Town Sound, a large gathering at Grove Street Park from 5 to 7 p.m. to help with setup, cleanup, and crowd management. All volunteers will receive a Porch Fest t-shirt. For information and to register as a Porch Fest volunteer, visit http colon forward slash forward slash belmontporchfest.org. Volunteers must register by August 29th. Current Porch Fest volunteer Barbara Becker recently shared how she became involved at Belmont's first ever event, Porch Fest. What motivated, what motivated you to be involved? 
Barbara stated, I have read about porch fests in other towns, but never actually made it to one. I do love the idea, though, and when I heard that someone had started organizing one for Belmont, I just had to help. How do you think this will impact Belmont? Music and art bring people together. It will be a beautiful day for Belmont and might, make, uh, might just make people discover that those neighbors they, uh, they only ever say hello to are actually more interesting than they thought. It will be by people, for people of all generations, and it will bring, uh, it'll bring together what I love into our town. Music, art, theater, acrobats, acrobats, ideas, and imagination. The possibilities seem endless. And now over to Thomas. Thank you, Bob. Along with my colleagues, Thomas and Max, we thank you for listening to the Talking News and hope you've enjoyed the show. We will return next week for another edition of Local News Happenings Around Belmont. <laughs>